few minutes, we're going to kick off a brand new series, As It Is in Heaven, an eight-week series about heaven. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But before I do, uh, I, I want to take just a couple minutes and talk to you from my heart about another extreme response that has nothing to do with Ecuador. It has nothing to do with the missions trip. It has everything to do with right here at North Point. And it has to do with us as a church family. And I want to talk for a few minutes, particularly to those of us, this is your church. North Point is your home. This is your uh, place of worship. This is your family. Uh, You are connected here. You are invested here. And you care about what goes on here. You have opinions about what should be done and what shouldn't be done. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes this morning as your pastor. Now, let me take you back last year. And I know many of us that are uh, North Pointers, we don't want to go back to next year. And I just want to remind you of the uncertainty and the pain and the difficulty of last summer and, and, and the transition, the very difficult transition that we walked through as a church family. And uh, you remember that season in the life of the church and you remember the ask from the leadership at that difficult season in our church life. And the ask was, can we pull together as a family? Can we be praying together and praying for one another? Can we uh, believe God and trust God and move forward together as, as one? And can we pray and minister to one another and believe God for healing? That was the ask last summer. And we realize as a leadership team that there is a, a particular area that we need to strengthen in the life of this church. And we've done some things, but we need to do more. Our mission, developing fully devoted followers of Christ, helping all people move toward a life fully devoted to Christ. And there's a a discipleship process of worship, connecting, and serving. And we know that the connection portion of our life here as a church needs strengthening and that we must do a better job in discipleship and relationship development. And so that's what Restarting Point is all about. And, and again, I said it last week, I want to say it again. Restarting Point is not about just another program, and it's not about a membership class. We have torn it apart and put it back together again. And it really is a beta test, and it's something that we're asking those of you that are part of this church, we're asking you to partner with us, not for a program, but a partnership to help us develop something that is really going to take us to a place that we've not been in terms of our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Now I know that everyone here, your heart craves two things. Fundamentally, our hearts crave a deeper connectedness to God, to Christ. Our hearts crave that. That's one aspect of what this restarting point is all about, helping us to connect with God on a deeper level. The other thing that that our hearts crave is connectedness with people and relationship that's meaningful and getting to know people and getting to be known and so what we're doing is we're we're offering this restarting point we can only open it up to 60 people we're providing lunch we're providing childcare we're making it convenient right after the 10:45 service it kicks off March 9th and I'm asking you as north pointers to partner with us and help us because we want you to help shape our future we want you to participate so that you can give us valuable feedback on what was good, what needs to be tweaked, how to, imprint, how to uh, strengthen and how to improve 
so that we can move forward together to go to a place that we haven't been. And we want you to go with us. So if you'd take a moment, fill out that registration form, tell us about yourself, tell us uh, that, that you'll, you'll be um, spending at least four weeks. Now, it's, it's two four-week segments, but let me explain. We're only asking you to commit to one four-week segment. If you want to continue on, you can. It's completely optional. But what you're committing to is the first four weeks. Okay? And so if you're willing to do that, we'll partner together and we'll create something really special. I know that it'll be very meaningful in your life. So restarting point. Please uh, let us know that you want to be part of that. Okay. As it is in heaven. Straight from the lips of Jesus, teaching His disciples to pray. We're going to spend eight weeks learning about heaven, talking about heaven. And we're going to spend the first four weeks of this eight-week series focused on the words of Jesus. He said, He taught us to pray, Father, let Your kingdom come and let Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And actually in the Greek, the, the, the wording there is in earth. So, Father, let Your kingdom come and let Your will be done in earth. We're made of the dust of the earth, aren't we? So that was the way that Jesus taught His disciples to pray. We're going to spend four weeks talking about the kingdom coming and the will of God being done and heaven's influence upon earth, particularly right here, you and me, made of the dust of the earth. And we're going to talk about four specific areas this morning. We're going to talk about ambition. We're going to talk about ambition. And then we're going to talk about decisions and actions and compensation. So we're going to take four weeks. We're going to talk about our heart, our head, our hand, and our, and our hip. And that'll make more sense. So we're going to talk about heaven's influence here on earth. And then we're going to take the next four weeks and we're going to talk about heaven's influence, what heaven is like. Because for many of us, we've heard about heaven, we think about heaven, but to be honest, for many of us, heaven is kind of fuzzy, it's kind of foggy, it's a little murky. It's a little mystical. We know there's harps. We know there's angels. We know Jesus is going to be there. We're not really sure what we're going to look like. Uh, will we be human? Will we be subhuman? Are we going to, what, are we going to have bodies? Aren't we going to have bodies? Uh, what's going to be there? Who's going to be there? What is heaven going to be like? We're going to be answering a lot of those questions. We're going to talk about myths, mirrors, mysteries, and maps. We're going to be answering questions like who and what is there? Will there be space and time? Will there be sun, moon, oceans? Will, there be, will we be ourselves? Will we have bodies? And if so, what will they look like? What will daily life be like? Will there be marriage and families and friendship in heaven? Will there be animals? Will your favorite pet be there? We're going to answer those questions about heaven and a lot more. What will we be doing there? Is it going to be boring? Will there be entertainment? Will there be art? Will there be sports? Will there be golf? These are weighty questions that we're going to be exploring as we begin this series and continue this series as it is in heaven. God has always wanted heaven on earth. And so let's, let's kick off with, uh, with a couple of things. First of all, uh, before I forget to mention them, let me, let me mention a couple of resources that will rock your face off in a great way. Okay, uh, This book is by Randy Alcorn. It's, it's entitled Heaven. I read it years ago. I've reread it. In fact, I've read portions of it many times. I want to highly recommend this book as a resource to you if you want to learn more 
about this vital subject and you want your whole life to be transformed, I want to highly recommend this book. And if uh, you're not quite up to a paperback and, and that heavy of a read, this is another resource that I would highly re- I'd, I'd recommend both of them. But this is 50 Days of Heaven, Reflections That Bring Eternity to Light. And this too is by Randy Alcorn. And it's drawn from some of his book, actually multiple books on heaven. And uh, it's a 50-day devotional that will really inspire you and uh, will minister to you and help you. And let me just kick off by reading something right out of Randy Alcorn's book that uh, you may be able to relate with a little bit. Randy was talking with a pastor, a seminary graduate, and he said this to Randy. He said, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. He said, I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. It's a pastor speaking. And Randy Alcorn, of course, was shocked. And he asked the pastor, why? Why would you say that? Why do you feel that way? And the pastor said this. He said, I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium. To float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp, it's all so terribly boring. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but some of you have thought those same kinds of thoughts. And he said, heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. Well, where did he get his theology of heaven? Where did he get his ideas about heaven? Clearly, he did not get them all from Scripture. Or he would be thinking differently and believing differently. And that is why I want to spend four, uh, four weeks, eight weeks actually, talking about as it is, in heaven. And let me read a quote by C.S. Lewis as a springboard for us as we launch into this subject. C.S. Lewis really sets the stage for us and he wrote this, if you read history you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. He concludes, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Let me read that second to the last line again. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. God forbid that that should be true of you and of me and of us as a congregation and a local body of Christ. So we have much to learn. And the Scriptures have much to say about this Subject. Randy Alcorn in his book writes this, The unbiblical stereotypes of heaven as a vague, incorporeal existence hurt us far more than we realize. Among other things, they diminish our anticipation of heaven and they keep us from believing it's truly our home. Though many of us affirm a belief in the resurrection of the dead, we don't know what it really means. Our doctrine dresses up men and women in bodies, then gives them no place to go. Instead of the new earth as our eternal home, we offer an intangible and utterly unfamiliar heaven that's the opposite of home. 
No wonder there is such ambivalence and uneasiness about heaven in our churches. We need to stop acting as if heaven were a myth, an impossible dream, a relentlessly dull meeting, or an unimportant distraction from real life. We need to see heaven for what it is, the realm we're made for. I love that statement. Heaven is the realm that you have been made for. Now let me be clear, and Randy Alcorn is clear, and the Scriptures are clear. There's two eternal destinations. Heaven and hell. Hell is real. Jesus spoke much on hell. It's a place of torment. It's the garbage dump of the universe. And it was not created for humans. And there's heaven. Not everyone goes to heaven. Hell is our default setting because of our original father Adam and his sin. But heaven can be our wonderful destination and become our home if we simply by faith trust Jesus Christ, His finished work at Calvary, Him paying the price for our sins. We can't do it. He did it for us. We put heart faith in what He did, and we receive that as what the Bible calls a gift. And we get the the, the amazing pleasure and benefit of spending eternity with God in a place of perfection and beauty and, and industry and all kinds of, of busyness and creativity. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. But heaven is what you and I were created for. Now Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, when He was talking to His disciples, and He was teaching them to pray, and He taught them this pattern, pray this way, that, Father, Your kingdom would come and Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will has always been that heaven be on earth. He created Eden. Eden was a place of perfection. It was a place of beauty. It was a place of opulence. It was a place of, of, of opulent provision. It was magnificent. We can't even begin to imagine what Eden was like. And God created it here on earth. And because of sin, sin corrupted it. The whole earth came under the curse of sin. We live in this earth, but we can't even begin to fathom what it was like before corruption before sin, before the perverting and twisting that took place. We can't even begin to imagine. Jesus taught His disciples to pray this way because God wants heaven to come to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus teach His disciples to pray that way if He didn't want heaven to come to earth? It can happen in pockets. It can happen in embassies. It can happen limitedly through His followers that connect heaven with earth and pray that will and that kingdom to come. So we can experience heaven on earth. It is God's will. And ultimately, we know from reading Scripture, God's ultimate plan is to bring heaven to earth. When we die as Christ followers, we're going to be escorted by angels to heaven. And heaven is up there. It's a place, it's a planet, it's a city, it's tangible, it's physical. We're going to go there. But we know from reading Scripture that ultimately God's going to renovate the heavens and the earth with fire. He's going to create what the Bible calls a new heaven and a new earth. And then heaven is going to come down to earth. And Jesus is going to set up an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. And we, newsflash, are going to spend eternity on earth with Jesus. Heaven is going to come to earth. We don't know, but now it's not going to be DeWitt because 
heaven and earth are going to be renovated. But it could be that we end up living right here in this same location. Possibly called to it, maybe called something different, I don't know. Those are tangible realities. So God has always wanted heaven to come to earth. And He wants that for your life. And He wants that for us as a church. If you believe that, say amen. All right, thank you. That encourages me to keep going. Now, let's uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is going to be the main body of our text this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 8 and we're going to read selected portions all the way through chapter 5, verse 11. And I want you to pay close attention to what Paul writes here. And I want you to see, and, and I, I, want, I want you to read this in its context. Paul was writing about the reality of eternity. He was writing about the reality of heaven. I want you to, I want you to understand that as a backdrop of everything that we read. Because we see that heaven significantly influenced every aspect of Paul's life. And that is God's will for my life, and it's His will for your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's read it. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. You can follow along. Bible in front of you. You can follow along on your tablet if you like. But uh, let's read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Paul says this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not dis- destroyed. If we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house made with hands, eternal in the heavens. While we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Now therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the Lord, excuse me, absent from the body, and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We're going to talk for just a few minutes this morning about how how heaven transforms our home, how heaven transforms our affliction, and how heaven transforms our ambition. These three principles are very clear in this portion of Scripture. Let me take another minute or two and read from the Message Bible. Because the Message Bible really brings this passage to light in a, in a, in a special way. And I think it will be even more meaningful to you. So let's take just another minute 
And we won't read all of what we just read, but we'll read portions of it out of the Message Bible. Paul writes, What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrected bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. I love this. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. Isn't that beautiful? That's why we live with such good cheer. You won't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in, but don't yet see, that keeps us going. Do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. But neither exile nor homecoming is the main thing. Cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing. Could you say that with me? Cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing. That's, that's this morning's message in a nutshell. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Pleasing God is the main thing, and that's what we aim to do. Regardless of our conditions, sooner or later, we'll all have to face God. Regardless of our conditions, we will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. That keeps us vigilant. You can be sure it's no light thing to know that we'll all one day stand in that place of judgment. That's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get them ready to face God. Paul is talking about an eternal perspective. And specifically, he talks about three things. He talks about our home, he talks about our afflictions, and he talks about our ambition. And I want to I focus on those three things for just a few minutes that we have left this morning. First of all, heaven transforms home. Did you notice the language Paul used throughout this passage? He used the word house. He used the word home. He talked about our bodies being like tents, and it's going to be folded up and put away, and then we're going to have a house. We're going to have a home. We're going to have something permanent. Paul said, we are content. In fact, we prefer to be absent from our body and to be present or to be at home with the Lord. There's something special about home, isn't there? Now, nobody in this room was raised in a perfect home because we're all flawed, fallible human beings. Even if you were raised in a godly Christian home, there were still lopsides and, and problems and challenges. and Nobody was raised in a perfect home. But all of us have some sense of what it means to go home. To go back to that place of security. 
that place of acceptance, that place that, that is our center. What is home? Home is a place of family. Home is a, a place of friendship and, and relationship. Home is a place of wonderful food and smells and memories. When we've had bad experiences as we were growing up, and I remember one time breaking my finger. I was playing at a friend's house, and I broke my finger, got slammed in a car door, and I was fine until I got home. And when I got home, I started crying like a baby. Why? Because home is where you can let your hair down. Home is where you can relax and be yourself. Home is where you just take the masks off, and, and you, 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 you take off, What's uncomfortable and you put on what's comfortable. Like me this morning, I had to get dressed up. Yes, this is being dressed up for me. I had to get dressed up to come to church. Why? Because I was in slippers and I was in wool socks and I was in pajamas. My wife will testify to this. And I was in a hoodie this morning. Because that's comfortable for me at home. Right? Home is a place. That's what home is. And all of us have a place that when we start thinking about home, we go to. See, heaven wants to transform home and what that means to us. Because notice the language that Paul uses. Christianity has always thought of heaven as home. Even from the earliest centuries. The, uh, in Rome, in the, in, in the first centuries, the Roman catacombs, Christians mercilessly persecuted and martyred for their faith. And in those catacombs, there are inscriptions, and there are pictures, and there are drawings, and it's replete with all kinds of expressions of brothers and sisters going home. Inscriptions like this one, In Christ, Alexander is not dead, but lives. One who lives with God. Another inscription, He was taken up to His eternal home. There are scenes of heaven with beautiful landscapes, children pay, uh, playing, and people feasting. Christianity has always recognized heaven as home. This is interesting. Aristides, in the first century, he was a Greek. He was not a believer. In 125 AD, he was writing to a friend trying to explain why, quote, this new religion, Christianity, was so successful. This is what he wrote. If any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. That's the unbeliever and his perception of the believer. Why? Because believers, Christians, Christ followers, when they die, they go where? They go home. Paul put it this way. He said in chapter 5, verse 1, he said, these tents that we live in, they're going to be folded up and they're going to be put away and we're going to get a brand, we're going to get a house. Now, how many of you have ever had the wonderful, unforgettable experience of tent camping? Can I see your hand? Almost everybody in the room, if you haven't, you have not lived until you have tent camped. Just have to tell you. You don't know what you're missing. How many of you have had a tent camping experience where you were very happy to be home? Can I see your hand? Every hand that has gone tent camping. 
Because sooner or later, you're going to have a miserable experience. Why? Because tents are temporary. Tents are flimsy. Tents, regardless of what the label says, tents are not fully waterproof. (laughs) Right? Tents are not dirt-proof. Oh, he could tell us. Carrie and I, uh, uh, for one of our for one of our early anniversaries, she was pregnant with Austin, and she was feeling very sick around our anniversary. So later on, we decided for our anniversary to go camping in a tent. Doesn't that sound romantic? And I don't have time to tell the whole fiasco. I mean, story. But it was it was it. We were glad to be home. Let me just put it that way. See, that's the language Paul is using. He's using the language of tent. He's saying this physical body is a tent. It's going to be folded up. And we're going to exchange the tent for a house. Come on, somebody. I like house much better than I like tent. House is home. Jesus in John chapter 14, his classic words, where he said, I'm going. Hey, if I go, don't sweat it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's, what? House, there are many rooms or mansions. Literally rooms. Why? Because we're family. We get to live in a house in heaven. Now Paul said this about heaven. And I want you to see if you can identify. The question this morning is, where is your real home? Be honest with yourself this morning. Where is your real home? Is it here or is it there? Listen to what Paul said in verse 8. He said, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Be honest, be transparent. Do you really feel that way? Thank you. wasn't asking for a, a physical show of hands, but some of you do. But many of us, if we're completely honest, if we're brutally honest, we, we're not there yet. And listen, you have permission. If you're not there yet, it's okay. God's still got some work to do with you, and He's still got some work to do with me. It's okay if you're not there. Because many of us, if we're brutally honest, We're not there. We can't say with utmost sincerity. We can't say with absolute conviction. We cannot say with total passion that my preference is to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. Because many of us feel like, I know it's coming and it's going to be good when it comes, but i still got some life to live here. I, get, I still got some stuff I want to do. I, 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 still, I still want to spend some time on this planet, and I'm really not looking forward. Hopefully there's no pain involved in the transition, and you're just, you're just not quite there yet. And that, again, it's okay. The more real heaven becomes to you, the more this will grow as a conviction in your heart and mind. See, number one, heaven transforms where home really is. Paul saw heaven as his true home. He saw this world as a vapor. He saw it as camping in a tent. He saw it 
as temporary. In fact, he tells us that in chapter 4. He said, these momentary light afflictions are producing an eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which can be seen, which are temporary, but at the things which can't be seen. He was talking specifically about heaven. So, Paul saw heaven as his real home. If I see this life as my real home, then everything in heaven is going to be obscured by what I see on earth. But if I see heaven as my real home, then everything on earth is influenced by and trumped by the reality of heaven. And that is the way God wants us to live. So, heaven transforms our home. Secondly, heaven transforms our affliction. Listen to what Paul said. If you want some interesting reading, read not only this, but but a little bit later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul talks about the adversities that he went through, how many times he was beaten and he was whipped and beaten with rods and left for dead and, and shipwrecked and hungry and the things that he endured. He tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the passage that we just read, he said that we are constantly being delivered over to death. He wasn't exaggerating. He wasn't talking in hyperbole. Literally, his life was at risk. People repeatedly were trying to kill him. Now, if you had somebody that was dogging you, that was trying to take you out, that literally beat you multiple times, could you say with Paul, I'm always of good cheer? Are you kidding me? He he wrote it and he meant it. He said we're constantly being delivered over to death. We're persecuted, we're struck down, we're abandoned, but we're constantly of good cheer. That's a pretty amazing statement. He not only said that, he said our momentary light affliction. Think about that. Is that not extraordinary? That perspective? Would you feel that way? Again, if somebody was dogging you, following you from town to town, as you were preaching Christ and having you stoned and beaten and thrown out of the city, could we say... I'm always of good cheer. This is, this is a momentary light thing. See, heaven transforms not only our definition of home, it transforms affliction. It transforms it into something momentary, into something light, into something that's producing an eternal weight of glory. Why? Because Jesus meant what He said. He said, when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you can get happy. You can be ecstatic. You can be fired up because your reward in heaven is going to be what? It's going to be great. That's, that was real to Paul. That's why he could be of good cheer. He knew that life was a vapor. Life was a passing shadow. And it truly was momentary and light. So heaven transforms our definition of home. It transforms our affliction. And here's what's really important. It transforms our ambition. What is ambition? Ambition is motive. Ambition is your core. 
Ambition is why you do everything that you do. It's the core of your entire life. Paul said, because heaven is a reality, our ambition, our driving motivation is what? To please Him. That's Paul's center. And this is what a knowledge of heaven This is what heaven becoming crystal clear and becoming a reality and a motivator in your life. This is what it will produce in in, in you. Your consuming ambition will be to please Him. To be well-pleasing to Him. In the parable of the talents, Jesus said that the, the guy with five and the guy with two did well. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Literally, I'm well pleased with you. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, 6, that without faith it's impossible to please God. We need to please God. That needs to be our our, our central motivation for all that we do as long as we're on this planet. Our ambition is to be well-pleasing to Him. Let me share a story that, that really illustrates this. And I'll I'll wrap up with this and the worship team will come out in just a minute. Ambition. Ambition is motive. It's what drives you. Years ago when my kids were smaller, my oldest Austin is 23, he was probably 7 at the time. So Ian was about 5, Wyatt was maybe 3, and Juliana was 2, maybe 1.5. And And they were in our basement and they were playing. And our basement is cinder block and concrete floor. And it's just a big play area for the kids. They go down there, they do airsoft, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. When they were little, they had all their toys down there. And it was a complete disaster. Toys everywhere. Now, I'm not a clean freak, but I'm kind of a, a, a clutter freak. I like, I like things orderly, and, and I, I'm not a freak about it, but you know, it just things are more peaceful that way. And I was down in the basement with my kids. It was my day off, and I couldn't relax because there were toys everywhere. And I was kicking toys into the corner and kind of halfway organizing and cleaning up. And I was kind of muttering a little bit. And I was talking about what a mess this place was. And I can't believe, you know, when you guys are done, man, it just seems like you can put toys in the box. And I, I wasn't giving any specific directive. I was just kind of grumpy. Okay? Next day, I go to work. I get home about 5, 5, 36, whatever time. I walk in the house. And all four of my kids, Austin, Ian, Wyatt, and Juliana, are excited out of their minds. Dad, 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 come on with us. Come on, right now, right now. Close your eyes, dad. Come on, come on, come on. They grab my hands, make me close my eyes. They walk me down into the basement. They're literally trembling. They're shaking. They're so excited. And they said, Dad, open your eyes. And I opened my eyes, and what do you suppose I saw? A disaster? No. They had spent almost all day picking up and cleaning up and organizing the basement. All the toys were in their place. Everything was back in the bins. It was organized. It was neat. It was, it was amazing. And they had this enormous, they had huge grins on their face. And they were just trembling. And they said, Dad, we knew this would bless you, so we wanted to pick up the whole basement. Oh, I felt like the Grinch and my heart grew three sizes. <laughs> I, was, I still remember that moment. 
It's the closest thing to heaven I think I've experienced. I, 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 was, I was blown away. And I was, my heart was so full. I was so blessed. Why? I'll tell you why. Because my children's ambition was to please me. Are you listening this morning? It was their motivation to bless me, to please me. And now this is important. I want you to track with this because this is the way it's supposed to be for the Christ follower. We are supposed to be excited and take Jesus by the hand when we step into eternity. And as though he doesn't know and he can't see, allegorically speaking, he's blindfolded and we're excited and we say, Jesus, come on, come on, come on. I can't wait to show you what I did out of my love for you because I wanted to please you. I knew it would bless you. I knew it was something that you wanted. That is the picture of the believer stepping into eternity. And if you're not there yet, by the grace of God and with the help of the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get there. See, my kids weren't afraid of me. My kids weren't terrified to take me in the basement. They were excited to go into the basement with me. Why? Because ambition is motivation, right? To be well-pleasing. And I believe at your core, that's the way you want to live. Heaven transforms our home, it transforms affliction, and it transforms our ambition. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the few minutes we've had in your word. Thank you for the amazing truth, the reality of eternity. And Father, as we prepare to close and as we spend some time in worship and reflection, Lord, none of us have arrived. All of us have some growing to do in our thinking and in our theology and in our understanding and how this influences and impacts every crevice of our lives. And so, Lord, we're just inviting you to take us on an amazing journey, to open our eyes, to help us to see what we haven't seen before. And, and Lord, things that, that just were off there, distant, a little bit out of focus and fuzzy, bring them into clarity and focus. Lord, that our lives, ultimately, would be that which is pleasing to you. That's our heart's desire. That's our cry today. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.